Let's turn to Luke chapter 3 and verse number 36. Luke chapter number 3 and verse number 36. Luke 3, 36. I'm, I'm hoping to have four lessons here on the war in the Middle East, okay? The war in the Middle East. Last week, we had lesson number one. Uh, which had to do with a terminology, terminology that helps us understand some things going on in the Middle East. Lesson number two tonight, we will continue with terminology and some geography. We'll be giving you some maps here in, in, in a little while. And then I hope to have lesson number three next Wednesday night on some history. Okay, so terminology, geography, then some history. Uh, that's very important. I'll, I'll just mention that briefly here in a bit, how important it is to know the history of what's going on in the Middle East. And then I hope our fourth lesson uh, will be on the, the war in the Middle East and prophecy, prophecy. So looking at terminology, geography, history, and then prophecy. <clears throat> As, uh, this is just very important to know this four times. In the last week, I have witnessed to adults who have asked me, uh, what do you think about what's going on in Israel? Four times. Uh, one of them, I was, I was power washing uh, the house uh, where Calvin and Rebecca lives, and a truck pulled up. They knew who I was, and they asked me, what do you think about what's going on in Israel? See if we know what's going on in Israel. In all four cases, I turned it immediately around to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is a golden opportunity for us, because everyone's talking about this. Uh, and I, I, in every case, I told them it is very important for you to be ready to meet the Lord and to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And um, because God is setting up something in the Middle East here, and uh, the time may be short, and uh, we'll, we might see a verse on that here a little bit later. But uh, so it, it's, it's just a, a door opener. Um, and sometimes that's hard when you're witnessing to, to open a door, but this, this is coming up. Uh, what do you think about what's going on in the Middle East? Well, I think God is setting up something, and we better be ready to meet the Lord. And you can flow, flow into the gospel with some of the knowledge <coughs> here and we don't have to be experts at it, but we're on page three now. It should say page three regarding terminology and uh, some more terms that we need to know in understanding the Middle East war is the term anti-Semite, anti-Semite. You'll hear that word a lot uh, about people who are anti-Semitic or anti-Semite. They're all over the world. They're, they are just coming out of the bushes. They're falling out of buildings. You would not believe how much anti-Semitism that we are, are seeing uh, in our day and age since October the 7th. Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T, that was the Jewish holiday on October the 7th, much like our Thanksgiving Day, when Hamas, and we learned that term last week, these are terrorists, they are a political organization that runs Gaza right now, and, and you'll get a map here in a moment of where Gaza is. They've run that since they were elected in 2006 and then never gave up power. Can you imagine that happened in America? Where some, let's say a Democrat got elected and then he refused to leave and, 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 and they 
But, but over there, it's, they, they've maintained control of Gaza, uh, what's called the Gaza Strip, uh, by terror. By terror, and they turn that whole place into a terrorist breeding grounds. Uh, and it came to a head on October the 7th. They chose a, a time when uh, Jews were uh, celebrating at a musical festival. They, they had the day off. Everybody was home. And uh, they, they weren't working. It was at the end of the Feast of Ingatherings, what we would call like Thanksgiving Day, like they like like you're sitting down there with your turkey and your mashed potatoes and your squash and your dressing and gravy and pumpkin pie and apple pie, and all of a sudden you hear this loud beating on your door from the butt of a rifle. And you can't figure it out, and you go and open the door, and somebody just comes in and starts shooting up the place and killing all of you. And maybe torturing, maybe taking hostages, maybe raping, maybe uh, gouging eyes out of living people cutting breasts off of women while they were alive, Um, beheading babies, 40 babies, in front of their uh, parents while their parents were alive. These were the things that Hamas did. And other things, four bunkers. Uh, The Jews were trained to run to the bunkers during air raids and attacks. And the Hamas filled the bunkers. I don't don't know if you watched this. I forced myself to watch it. There was actually videos of people inside. It was the last video they took when they were alive. It got out into the cloud. And these bunkers were about the size of this addition made of solid concrete walls and ceilings. And they just packed Jews and packed them in there and packed them in there and packed them in there. And then just flippantly took a grenade, threw it in there and blew them all up. And there are four bunkers that they packed. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thrown a grenade in your life before, but I have. And uh, they, they loaded those bunkers with Jews, and they threw, and I could tell you more and more stories of stuff I forced myself to study since October the 7th. And we see now the revenge and the retaliation of the Jews. How different, though? Whereas the Jews are focusing Hamas, Hamas was focusing little babies, uh, hiding behind women and children as human shields. They, 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 they call themselves freedom fighters. They're liars. They're not freedom fighters. They're cowards. They hide behind women. They hide behind children. They launch rockets from nursing homes. Uh, they la- la- launch uh, rockets from... Uh, orphanages and from hospitals so that if, if they are fired back at, inevitably there's going to be some collateral damage and some civilians will be killed. And then they, they, they make that into their propaganda uh, that look at this, the Jews are killing women and, and, and children while they're hiding in places like elementary schools uh, where children are. And then, and then firing from there, they don't wear uniforms. These, these aren't freedom fighters. These are satanic devils. That's what they are. They're satan- only, only a person filled with Satan could possibly behave in such a way towards their fellow man. And uh, I want you to notice here in Luke chapter number 3 and verse number 36. 
It says, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Sem, which was the son of Noe, which was the son of Lamech. So we learn from this verse that one of the sons of Noah was Sem, S-E-M. We're more familiar with the Old Testament spelling Shem. And we know that Noah had three sons on the ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, those were the three sons who were on the ark with Noah. The New Testament spelling of Shem is Sem, S-E-M. So when somebody says they're an anti-Semite, they're just simply saying because Sem was the father of the Jews, they're just saying they're anti-Jewish. All right, they're anti-Israeli. And so you'll hear that a lot, and there are many of them in America. Another word you'll hear on occasion is infitada. Infitada is a Palestinian word, which means an uprising. It literally means shaking off, as in a revolt or insurrection. <coughs> now, their first infitada was in December of 1987. And remember, they've been in Gaza pretty much since 1948, the Arab-Israeli War. They were called Arabs before then. They were never called Palestinians until 1963. Very significant that you understand that. Uh, they just made up the word in 1963 and called them Palestinians. They were called Arabs before that, and they were put on Gaza. They were allowed to have that strip uh, of land. I think it's about 25 miles long. I'm not sure. But the in, first infantata that is shaking off, in other words, they wanted to shake off the oppression of the Jews uh, who had some control over that area was in 1987 after four Palestinians were killed while riding in a van that collided with an Israeli truck. Uh, they were trying to shake off Israeli occupation, quote-unquote, in Gaza. The second infantata was in September 2000 when Ariel Sharon, the uh, Israeli opposition leader, made a visit to the Al-Aqsa a compound on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so he, as a Jew, went on to that compound. Al-Aqsa is a Muslim mosque, Islam. It's the third holiest site. We'll get to this in a minute. It's the third holiest site for uh, Muslims all over the world is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. You can see it. My wife and I are right there on the, on the uh, Temple Mount, what we call the porch. Uh, it, it's, it's right there. And he made a visit there, and as a result of him even cl coming close to the building, and though his visit was peaceful, the event set off protests that had to be quelled by policemen. And so shaking off refers to being free from. In this case, they just want to be free from Israel and the Jews. That was the, the second one. And uh, this is, is obviously the, the third one here that we've observed on October the 8th, far worse, 1,400 Jews were killed on that day, October the 7th. Probably not one of them was a soldier. They're all citizens. Little girls, babies, 
Not when we're soldiers. When we fight, we, we put on a uniform. That's what, that's what Americans do in, in so many other countries. And we fight against those that are in uniform. We try not to hurt any civilians, but not these people. Not these people. Now, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is on the Temple Mount. Uh, the most famous structure on the Temple Mount today is the Dome of the Rock. If you've ever seen the porch there, where the Jews' temple used to be, and all the buildings that Jesus said would be destroyed, there wouldn't be a, a, a stone left upon another, recorded in three different Gospels. What a prophecy. But around the 1200s, they built Muslim mosques on there. One's the Dome of the Rock, which is the most famous. It's got the gold dome on it. Any picture you see of Jerusalem, you'll see the, the Dome of the Rock with the gold dome. But if you look like from the east, if you look to the left, you'll see another mosque. It's called Al-Aqsa, uh, A-Q-S-A mosque. And that was built on the Temple Mount. This is the third holiest site, and I put holiest in, in quotes, uh, third holiest site of the religion of Islam. Uh, it is third only to Mecca, where every Muslim must make a trek to Mecca sometime in their life, and Medina, and then there is this mosque. Women are not allowed in it. Women are not allowed in this mosque. And uh, it is near the Dome of the Rock, just a stone's throw away, which is also on the Temple Mount. Uh, Al-Aqsa was built by the southern wall of the old city of Jerusalem. It was built about 1,200 years ago, but it's gone through many, many uh, um, renovations. Now, another word that's uh, needed to understand the Middle East is the word Levant. Levant is the eastern Mediterranean region of West Asia, which includes Cyprus, Syria, Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, the Palestine territories, and most of of Turkey, and I'll, I'll give you a map here in just a minute, and I'll have Brother Rick and, and uh, Randy come and get those and, and get them out to you, and you'll see a, a map with the uh, uh, countries of the Levant. Levant, and these are this is a very Arabic part of the world, uh, perhaps as many as two billion uh, Arabs living in what's called the Levant. Jihad is a word uh, that you hear that strikes fear in, uh, to people when you hear the word jihad because it's mostly associated with war against infidels. And it means struggling or striving with a praiseworthy cause. That's what it means to them in uh, their religion of Islam and the Quran uh, when you struggle or strive. Now, it has come to be associated mostly with militant extremist Islam, although in the Quran it was never meant to be about a militant, to be a militant word against infidels, but rather a personal struggle within a person. Uh, but today, jihad has come to mean a holy war. Now, initially, jihad was a war within yourself that was fought with a praiseworthy aim. It might be similar almost to our verse in the Bible that says this in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. 
Okay, some of you are striving against some sin, striving against some addiction, striving against some uh, fault or whatever, and that, that would be in their religion, the word striving in our faith would be in their religion, jihad. Jihad, that's what it meant, but the, it became a word that has been misconstrued and not interpreted properly out of their own book, the Quran, uh, to mean a holy war. And um, uh, it, it is a scary word. It is a scary word. Now, what's an infidel? An infidel is a disbeliever in Islam. So what are you? An You're an infidel according to them. Every one of you is an infidel according to them, and you should be killed. According to the militant, the militant interpretation of, uh, of, of the Quran. Uh, another word you'll hear is a caliphate uh, from the Arab world. A caliph, C-L-A-I-P-H, is a chief Muslim leader, like we might say a monarch. A caliphate is a government under one Muslim leader, and, and we know how that goes. Just by reading the Old Testament, you, you, when you read the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, depending on what the king was like, you know what the kingdom was like. And it's not good. And so they may be calling for a caliphate. Uh, you hear that word being bandied around that, that, that it's time for a caliphate, which is a government under one Muslim leader. And uh, that, that, that sounds like a precursor almost to the Antichrist. Although I, I, I believe he'll be out of Europe, but it all depends on what the definition of Europe is and what the definition because some of that, at one time, uh, would cover a lot of the uh, Arab-speaking countries. So we'll let God figure that out. It can also refer to a period in Muslim history like the Rashidim Caliphate, which was right after Muhammad died, and then he took over from 632 to 661 A.D. after the death of Muhammad. And so... They had uh, a, a caliphate then, and they've had many since that were always under the control of one man, and you know how evil one man can be. I mean, look, look at the ones we've observed, Saddam Hussein, uh, Obama bin Laden. Uh, they're both dead now, but uh, they had so much power, and they were so evil, uh, and they controlled people. It, it was scary. Now, the Israeli-Egypt peace accord is something now that, uh, yeah, men, would you come and get these here um, and, and start passing these out? <coughs> these are very primitive maps that we put together, I put together, and, and uh, some writing on them, uh, and uh, give everyone one of those, and I'll get to that in a minute, but in the meantime, uh, there are Three peace accords that we need to understand because this will fit into prophecy two weeks from now. The first peace accord was the Israeli-Egypt peace accord. Um, this was signed March the 26th, 1979. I remember this. It was signed by Anwar Sadat, some of you remember him, president of Egypt, and Menachem Begin. Menachem Begin was the Prime Minister of Israel at the time. This was witnessed by President Jimmy Carter. 
All right, he was the president when I was in the Army. He was my commander-in-chief. He's still alive. He's 99 years old. But uh, this was the first peace accord, and this is very significant. Normalized, this normalized relations <coughs> between Israel and Egypt. All boycotts were repealed. Sinai was demilitarized. And that's kind of the, the Sinai Peninsula, is if you see your map, between Egypt and Israel. So there's no military uh, presence there. Airline flights were uh, inaugurated. Airline flights were inaugurated between Israel and Egypt for the first time. Egypt began to supply Israel with oil, etc. And this has worked out pretty well. Now, I mean, this is a, let, let me just describe it this way. These treaties, these three treaties, they are cool friendships. All right, you know what I mean? They're cool friendships. They're not like red hot, you know, we're in love with each other. Let's have a hug, hug fest. These are cool relationships. But since 1979, Egypt has, has kept their peace treaty with um, Israel. Now, although Anwar Sadat, the president of Egypt, was assassinated by the Egyptian Islamic Jihad on October 6th, 1981, Egypt and Israel have remained friendly since then. And uh, I can remember that. You can actually see a YouTube video of his assassination. I remember that when that happened. And uh, they stormed the place, and, and uh, he was out at a parade, uh, watching a parade, uh, with people everywhere of some victory Egypt had, and they just, just ran off a truck straight at him, firing and killed him. And so he, uh, he only uh, was able to experience that uh, peace accord for himself personally for a couple years before he was assassinated. Now, I should have put him in this order. The next one, if you skip down to the Israel-Jordan peace treaty, that's the second peace treaty. Now, by second, we're, we're talking about since 1948 when Israel became a nation there uh, in their own land, it became a nation again. The first piece of, was 1979. The second was in 1994, so please change that on your notes. It should read like this, ended their war since 1948, when Jordan's King Hussein and Israel's Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin signed the declaration on the White House lawn, October 26, 1994. So if you do the math, how many years were they at war with each other? These are next-door neighbors, Jordan and Israel. 46 years. Somebody did it already. 46 years. Okay, so that first 1994 should say 1948. That's my mistake. Can you imagine being at war with somebody for 46 years? But they signed a peace treaty, and that was witnessed by President Bill Clinton. All right, so let's give some credit where credit is due to President Jimmy Carter, a Democrat, President Bill Clinton, a Democrat, 
And then now the third treaty was just a couple years ago. This was phenomenal. And this was brokered by President Donald Trump in 2020. And so uh, let's look at the what's called Abraham Accords. Abraham Accords. This was just a couple years ago. Very significant. We'll show you some prophecy in a couple weeks where, where this just lines up so amazingly with biblical prophecy. In other words, Israel has some Arab allies in that region. All right? And uh, so, this was brokered by President Donald Trump. This peace treaty normalized relations between Israel (coughs) and the United Arab Emirates. Number one, Bahrain. Number two, Morocco. Number three, and Sudan. So four countries. Uh, Four countries uh, signed on to the Abraham Accords. And these are Arabic countries. It was initially signed on September 15th, 2020, at the White House in Washington, D.C., recognizing these four countries, amazingly, recognize Israel's sovereignty. That's a miracle right there. And we thank the Lord for uh, President Donald Trump Uh, working on that when he was our president. He did a lot of good things uh, for our country. So we've got now the Jews telling the Palestinians to get out of Gaza because they're going to bomb and kill every member of Hamas. But notice two things that have happened. The Egyptians don't want the Palestinians. And the Jordanians don't want the Palestinians. And are not allowing them in. Why? They signed treaties with Israel in 1979, Egypt. 1994, Jordan. And they said, no, we are friends with Israel. The Palestinians are not. Now, these are what we might think of as the innocent Palestinians, uh, but they have been indoctrinated. And the Egyptians say, we don't want that in our country. In fact, the Egyptians said, if, you, if, if, if we allow the Palestinians in our country, they'll start, they'll start launching rockets from here because of their indoctrination by Hamas. Uh So I don't know what's going to happen to the Palestinians uh, because remember we said last week all Hamas is Palestinian but not all Palestinians are Hamas. Got to understand a lot of Palestinians are just people like you and I that want to go to work, want to go home, want to be with their wife, want to be with their kids, want to have peace, want to raise their children in freedom. They're just like us. Uh, And I said last week uh, my wife and I have been to the First Baptist Church of Bethlehem, which is all Palestinian converts to Christ. And they love the Lord as much as you do, but they get it from every side. Uh, the Jews are against the, the, the uh, Palestinian Christians, and the Muslims are against the Palestinian Christians, and the Palestinians are against the Palestinian Christians, but there, there are some that are born again. Some will get saved just like you and I do. So be very careful about stereotyping people. 
be very careful that you are not a Christian who has any prejudices or bigotry toward anybody on earth. No matter how you were trained, no matter what you were taught, uh, Christ sets us free from that. And he's made of uh, uh, all of us of one blood uh, in, in Christ. There's neither male nor female, circumcision nor uncircumcision, right? That's what he said. And uh, Christ erases all that. And if you and if you, you got to let him get in your mind and erase some of the things you've been taught about certain people of different ethnic groups or skin colors or whatever, you got to let God work on you. You got and we got to make sure we don't stereotype like they stereotype the Cretans. And I think it's Titus one or Titus two. And Paul said, "You rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply." Pastor taught us about. Um, admonishing people, reproving people, being more mild recently in one of his sermons and how rebuke is more severe. We are to severely rebuke a Christian who stereotypes any ethnic group, any skin color, because in heaven there's going to be people out of every kindred, every people, every tribe, every nation. And uh, people who are anti-Semitic, they're not going to like heaven at all uh, because all 12 of the foundations of the New Jerusalem are going to have the name of a Jew on the side of it, the apostles. And then to get into the big city, you've got to go around the wall, and there's going to be 12 gates with the names of other Jews on it, the 12 tribes of Israel. And our Savior happens to be a Jew from the tribe of Judah. And uh, so all that needs to change when we have a rebirth and we become transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean we, we agree with everything. Jews in Israel, they hate us. Okay, if you went to Israel today, if you're a Hasidic Jew, they'll welcome you. If you're an atheist Jew, and there's more atheists in Israel than almost any country. Uh, if you're an agnostic Jew, they'll welcome you. If you're an a, a, a Orthodox Jew, They'll welcome you. It doesn't matter what kind of a Jew. If you're a rich Jew, a poor Jew, or they'll welcome you. But if you're a Messianic Jew, they'll spit on you. They'll spit on you. The Bible says they are enemies for the gospel's sake. But we love them. We'll get into the history next week. We love them because God chose them. And what a glorious future they have. Uh, prophetically, we'll get into that in the next next couple of weeks. Now, let me just explain the geography a little bit, and then we'll be done. I want you to notice this map here, the picture of Israel. Isn't that a funny-looking country? That's a funny-looking country. It's about the size of New Jersey. And you see the red parts? Those are Palestinian territories. They belong to Israel. But they're territories they've allowed the Palestinians to live in. There are two of them. In Israel, one is called Gaza. That's what has been famous in the news since October 7th. This is where all the, the, uh, the, the activity was in the southern part of Israel. Outside of that western wall, that little strip there called Gaza. You see Gaza? That's where Hamas is centered, a terrorist group that murdered 1,400 people on October the 7th. This month. That's the Gaza Strip right there. That was famous in Bible days. We'll look into the history as being the five 
cities, the five capitals of the Philistines. That's the Gaza Strip. Now notice the West Bank. It looks like kind of a guy. Remember that guy that was on the in North uh, New Hampshire on the side of the mountain? The old man on the mountain. Some of you remember that? And they made the quarters with the old man on the mountain. And then what happened? The old man on the mountain fell off the mountain. Uh, but uh, it, it looks like he's kind of looking to the west, doesn't it? Uh, uh, but that reddish area, strange it is, is called the West Bank. Why is it called the West Bank? Because you'll see right to the west of it is the Jericho River. See that river? Up towards the top, you'll see the Sea of Galilee. And then there's the river down to the sea, the Dead Sea. And this land is on the west bank of the Jericho River and the west bank of the Dead Sea. And that goes around really crazy. It looks like the gerrymandering we have in America to include the eastern part of Jerusalem. The eastern part of the city of Jerusalem is, is Palestinian, although it's under really Israeli control. <clears throat> so you're going to hear that a lot. The West Bank, the West Bank, the West. that's the West Bank right there. And the Gaza Strip, the Gaza, that's, the, that's where all the bombing is going on right now. That's where they have the 300 miles of underground tunnels. And uh, that's where they, listen, Israel is not fooling around. Okay, their goal is to find and kill every single member of Hamas, no matter how long it takes. If it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, if they're in Gaza, if they're in the West Bank, if they're in some other country, their goal now is to find every single member or former member of Hamas and kill them. They made that very clear. They they don't care what anybody says. And so we have ended up with um, a lot of, uh, in our country, today, 100 colleges. People walked out of the colleges in uh, demonstration of being pro-Palestinian. All right, uh, a couple terms I didn't put on the terminology that should be on there. One is useful idiots. Okay, useful idiot. Uh, what is a useful idiot? It's basically a, a young person in college that has no clue about anything. But uh, they are, I don't know why, but they, they go to college, they march, not all of them, there's a lot of wonderful young people. A lot of them, but, but there's a lot of them that march into these colleges like cattle to the slaughter. And within weeks of being there, the influence of their parents are diminished, the influence of their pastors are diminished, And the next thing you know, their professors are everything. Their professors are deities. Deities. And these professors begin to use propaganda and indoctrination. Uh, I remember living through this in the Vietnam War. Same thing on college campuses. And then you go back. Some have attributed it to Vladimir Lenin. We're not sure about that. But the Soviets for sure. Uh, coined a phrase called useful idiots. Useful idiots. Where they can get a bunch of useful idiots that don't know anything at all. They're, they're absolute idiots. 
and they can organize them into marches and protests and burning down buildings and overturning cars and, and hurting law officers and everything. And if you got them alone, one-on-one, they wouldn't have any idea what they're talking about. No clue whatsoever. And uh, they, just, they just get away from home, get away from churches and stuff, and, and, that, and, and that satanic rebellion that is in every one of us, if we're not careful, is then fed on these college and university campuses. And propaganda is another term that we should also be aware of. That means communication that is primarily used to influence or persuade an audience to further an agenda, often using emotions, not truth. So if some professor says, now these Israelis are killing babies, women and children in hospitals and orphanages and, and uh, nursing homes, older people, the Israelis are killing these people, they will not say. But Hamas is using these people as human shields. And in their war to purge out Hamas, there, there are some fatalities. But none of them intentionally goes and says, let's kill some babies today. Let's kill some. That's what Hamas does. They flip the whole thing around. And it is amazing that since October 7th, only 18 days ago, there are so many anti-Semitic rallies, so many pro-Palestinian. It's amazing. It's amazing because they have organized the useful idiots. And then the media... Uh, which loves this, puts the cameras on these idiots uh, who don't know anything. And I can remember going through the Vietnam War with, with that thing, and even back then thinking, these, these people haven't thought this through. We're over there fighting communism. And uh, so, there's Hamas. You see I wrote that in there. Hezbollah, notice this up, and I'm almost done. Hezbollah is another terrorist organization we learned about last week. You notice that's located up in southern Lebanon and Syria. Okay, if you don't know this, Hezbollah is much bigger than Hamas. It's, they're not even close. Hezbollah, Hezbollah, as they say it, listen, in the last 18 days has launched 7,700 rockets into Israel. Funded by Iran, funded by the American tax people, payer. 7,700 rockets, Hezbollah. And they're much bigger, much more powerful than Hamas. This is an existential threat, the Israelis say, but I disagree with them. Because I know my God has an everlasting covenant with them. But they're atheists. Uh, they gave up on God back in, in World War II, so many of them. And uh, big mistake. But they're going to come crying to God pretty soon. This is going to get so bad. This is going to get so bad. Then you got another terrorist group, ISIS, which is, is, is the most despicable. And, and notice I have their 
name here in Syria, but remember the S is, and the I stands for Syria, Iraq. ISIS, so they're a terrorist group. And then over to the right, <coughs> this map is not big enough uh, to show Pakistan and Afghanistan, but in Pakistan you have, uh, now this would be directly to the east, straight to the east of Israel, Al-Qaeda. We know about them. We fought them, didn't we, under George Bush? And remember they kept counting the dead bodies every day of American soldiers every day until Barack Obama took over. And then more died in Afghanistan under him than in, uh, than, uh, in Pakistan under Bush and uh, Iraq. And, uh, but they quit counting all of a sudden. Uh, all the dead, Americans. How many? 8,000 dead? Fighting them? And what did it get us? I want you to notice here in closing that Israel is surrounded by terrorists. But there are some allies. You'll notice Egypt, I have the number 1979 under. We explained that. Jordan, 1994, they've got some allies. And then if you'll turn your page over, way over to the left, I did not write this on here, but you'll see Morocco, way over to the left, see that? You could write 2020 under Morocco. Sudan is almost dead center in the middle of your map, towards the bottom. You can write 2020 under Sudan. And then over, oh, I don't know, it's around 3 o'clock, but it's in a little bit. You'll see Bahrain. You can write 2020 under Bahrain. And United Arab Emirates, you can write 2020 under United Emirates. So there are some allies there. And this is profoundly significant when it comes to prophecy that we'll see in two weeks. Can you find Israel on this map? It's so dinky. And let me just close with this here. For every one acre that Israel owns, okay, for every one acre of land that Israel owns, the Arab nations around Israel own 644 acres. Now, they say this is all about land. No, no, no. It's, it's deeper. And we know. We know who's behind all this. But the countries, oh, by the way, the Levant are those countries that are in the white. We, we mentioned the Levant, okay? Those are the, mostly Arabic countries. If you compare their land to Israel's, for every one acre Israel owns they own 644, but they want this. We want this. It's ours. And for every one Jew in the Middle East, there are 225 Arabs. So if you were a betting man and you shouldn't be ever, who would you bet on? All right. But one Jew one time wrote these words, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? And boy, you're going to see God working here. You're going to see God working. But he's going to set up, though, a desperation in Israel so profound 
they'll find they have no other choice but to turn to the Lord and to his son, Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your word tonight. And <clears throat> We just looked at a couple of verses, but Lord, we pray for Israel. We pray the prayer of Paul. We pray for all of Israel to be saved. We pray for Palestinians to be saved and Hamas even, Lord. Lord, I think of that great, great leader, one of the greatest leaders of Hamas and how his son is on YouTube. He became a born-again Christian and he loves Israel. And, and what a testimony that you can save members of Hamas. Uh, your grace is so great. Your power is so great. You're so good all the time. And so, Lord, we just pray for him. We pray for peace in the Middle East and Jerusalem. But, but we do pray that through this, oh God, you'd be glorified. We pray for evil to be defeated. And we pray for souls to be saved. And now, Lord, as things come up with us, with people, Lord, give us answers. Help us to be witnesses as, at a time when this has opened the door for us to talk about spiritual things that we can tell people. This is all setting up the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Are you sure? And we can be witnesses. So God help us. Bless us now in our dismissal, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.